Hello and welcome to another episode of Fast Talk, your source for the science of endurance sports training. Rob, what are we talking about today? And I should kind of qualify we. We. I don't know that there's much of a we beyond this short introduction here, Trevor, because what people may or may not know is that we are doing this other project called The Craft of Coaching with Joe Friel, and it is an amazing multimedia experience that brings the listener, the reader, the consumer through all different aspects of coaching that go much deeper than just writing a training plan. The latest module is about junior athlete development, and so today what we're doing is we're not doing anything because Emma Kate Lidberry, who everybody is familiar with, actually did an amazing interview with Dr. Inigo San Milan about junior development. And so today we want to bring that to you out of the craft of coaching. Let's give her a listen now. In module 10, our latest in the craft of coaching series, we're turning our attention to the coaches who are bringing up the next generation of junior athletes. Coaching juniors is wildly different from coaching adults and applying the same principles often causes young athletes to burn out and quit the sport. Learn how to tailor your knowledge to junior athletes by checking out the craft of coaching at fasttalklabs.com. Hello and welcome to this podcast special for the craft of coaching. My name is Emma Kate Lidberry, content strategist here at Fast Talk Labs, and I'm joined today by Dr. Inigo Samalan, the physiologist and coach who's head of performance at the UAE Team Emirates World Tour team. In this show, we chat with Dr. Samalan about the work he's done with junior cyclists, particularly Juan Ayuso, the phenomenally talented 20-year-old who's no stranger to the podium at the World Tour level. Dr. Samalan talks about the work they've undertaken to get this rider to compete at this level at such a young age, detailing both the physiological and psychological aspects of their approach. Now, outside of Ayuso, Dr. Samalan has worked with hundreds of junior athletes, so he shares his perspective and experience on what helps transform a junior athlete into a successful elite adult. It is an interesting show for sure, so here's our chat with Dr. Inigo Samalan. Inigo, thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. My pleasure. Yeah, so we're going to talk a lot about coaching juniors. And you said you've worked with hundreds of juniors. Mm -hmm. Over the years, I've been working with, uh, especially when I was in, uh, working in Europe, right, uh, which is very common. Yeah, it's just uh, we had a sports medicine clinic and then I had my own private uh, laboratory at some point too. So yeah, people would come to get tested. And yeah, it's uh, hundreds, like yeah, many, many juniors over the years. Yeah, and there's one in particular, Juan Ayuso, how did you get started working with him and how did that come to be? Yeah, so our general manager, uh, Machin, for the cycling team, the UAE, head of performance for the team UAE. So our general manager, he's probably the best scouter in the world. So he's very passionate about it, very good about it. Most, if not all, but most of the top professional cyclists nowadays, Machin discovered them and he's been placing them in different teams over the years. Now uh, he's the, the manager, general manager of the team. And now his role is like to, 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 to do that for us now before he did it for others, right? But anyway, so he, he's very good at identifying talent. He goes in person to many uh, junior races, world championships, European championships, uh, et cetera. He knows all the stats from all the juniors in the world that have a high level. But anyways, he identified Juan as a great talent, potentially. He started to work with him to try to sign him for the team UAE while still he still was a junior, right? How, so, how old was he? 17. And the idea was like, yeah, that the following year, he was going to sign for us, but we were going to have him racing for an Italian team. 
right, as an U23 team because yeah, we didn't want to make the transition right away to the world tour level, right? So yeah, so that, that's when he put me in contact uh, with him and told me, hey, Nigo, um, uh, would you mind starting working with him? He's a junior, but obviously we're gonna, we want to have him next year with us, still in the U23 category. And that's why I, I started to uh, work with him and I started to coach him. Okay. And, but prior to that, how many juniors had you worked with? Poof, I, many, many. I don't know, hundreds of those hundreds. Over, over the years because that was when I was in Europe. You know, here in the US, I would say that in 15 years that I've been here, maybe three or four. Whereas in Europe, it's just very common that it's a different culture, tradition, right? So kids, when they're 14, 15, they're already being coached, right? Or, and being tested. And they go to a sports medicine facility or an exercise physiology laboratory. And that's when they start being tested and being coached, right? It's very common. So yeah, just when I was working uh, uh, in Spain, yeah, I would get a lot of uh, junior athletes, which is very common. Yeah, and then you would work with them until what age? Many, they never made it to pro, but uh, a very good number of them too also, you know, like uh, they made it to pros uh, and others would make it to like a world tour and just like uh, others to a higher level where they have been winning races also at the, at the world tour level and other ones like Juan in this case, you know, got to be at the age of 19 podium at a grand tour. Yeah. So we'll come to talking about how the formula for, or if there is a formula for how some juniors become the elite of the elite. And obviously Juan is one of those. When you started working with him, had he participated in other sports prior to you coaching him? Yeah, he was playing soccer. Okay. Right, like okay. Uh, so many European yes. kids, right? Yep, yep. And then uh, eventually they, you know, it's very competitive. And uh, and eventually in my situation as well, I, I as a kid, I played six years uh, soccer for Real Madrid in the academy. Oh, wow. But uh, I found cycling, like more most kids. And when you find cycling and you, you find that hidden passion that you never thought about, I said like, wow, I love this. So I quit soccer knowing that also was very difficult and very, uh, when you're at that level, it's very difficult to make it. And then I found like, wow, this is a great sport. It's me. I, I don't depend on anybody and the coach or so. So it's myself expressing, me expressing myself out there, right? So that, that's the typical path where like uh, these kids uh, find, you know, uh, in many situations, right? Yeah. And, and Juan was one of them. Okay, understood. And so when you first started coaching him, did you see something special in him straight away? Was mm -hmm. it like, wow, there is a special talent? Or was it something, was that a slow burn? No, so I, I saw like he had been already racing for two or three years. There's a category we call cadets that, that doesn't even exist here. You know, it, when I came here, it called my attention because in Europe we have like 15 and 16 are not juniors, are cadets, you know, and here I call senior juniors. Uh, juniors are in Europe are 17 and 18, right? So he was racing as a cadet. cadet okay. And then his dad is uh, very savvy. He's uh, very passionate about cycling. He loves the sport. So he was his coach. He's a numbers guy. He's oh, very smart okay. about this. So yeah, he was working with him. And so he already has some structure for coaching, which is, is uh, it was, it was, yeah, it was really good. And, and obviously in the moment I started doing a, you know, a physiological test to him and, and, and looking at his numbers, you know, in training peaks and uh, looking at how he, um, you know, he assimilates the efforts and uh, everything. I realized, wow, this, this guy is really talented. And obviously by them too, in the, in, in the races in Spain, he was oh, winning very easy too. But that's when I saw like what I've been able to build over, over these last 27 years is a huge database, the metabolic level, physiological level, and of, of how, where do you place in which group, right? Like, are you at the highest level, the highest percentile, yes. you know, uh, or, or are you in the lowest tier, you know? 
And that, that's where I can see very well. And that, that's where like, wow, this guy plays way up there, right? Like, wow, this is, this is really, really good. Like, uh, kind of when I started working with Tade, he, it was first year amateur, it was not junior, but he was still, you know, 18 to be 20, 19. That's where, yeah, wow, you see something special, you know, at the physiological level. And then at the uh, mental level, you saw also a very mature kid who really knew what he wanted and uh, uh, really determined and really disciplined. And like, you didn't have to really uh, be after him with trainings or anything like that. He would upload all the training program right away and you could respond to it very well, you know, all the time. And uh, very uh, savvy about uh, many concepts which are very important uh, related. And this is what we're finding in younger kids. More and more, they, you talk about lactate threshold, you talk about uh, uh, mitochondria and muscle fibers and uh, fuel utilization, and they're really savvy about this. So it's much easier to work with them. Okay, interesting. That's interesting because there's mm-hmm. two things there that you mentioned that are interesting, I think. One of which is that you've got this almost database of from your 27 years and you can see what puts somebody in the top percentile and from physiological testing, where they might land. Mm-hmm. Can you give us any insights into what some of those metrics are that you're looking at that give you the green light for somebody? Yeah, so what we look at, I, I have a protocol that I started, yeah, about oof, 20 plus years ago. I, I changed the, the, the protocols that were done because they were short and they were not discriminate much. That's what I was seeing. So I, I did a, a longer protocol, lo- longer stages, and then I normalized it by watts per kilogram. So it's more individualized. So then I have a protocol that it increases every every five minutes at first for half a watt a kilogram. And when they get to three watts per kilogram, we do 10 minutes. And then uh, that's where like I start seeing the main parameter that we see is the lactate. Lactate is the, the best surrogate that we have, the best proxy to look at what's the mitochondrial function of an athlete and of a person as well. But for an athlete... That's what we can see. If, if you have a very good mitochondrial function, you can clear lactate very well. So that means that you don't accumulate much lactate in the muscle and they use it for fuel. When you see that you don't have a good lactate cleanse capacity, lactate builds up in the bloodstream very fast. And this is bad news. So when you're, when you're like a, let's say 3.5 watts per kilogram and you have four millimoles of lactate, yeah, that, that, you're, you're, you're far away to be like at an elite level. When you're 3.5 and you have like a 1.5 millimoles, like, wow, this is like a, it's, it's, it's a discriminating factor, for example, right? So you look in this data and like, a, that's when you start seeing like, a, and we're talking still like a lower intensities, right? But you see right away, you know, like, wow, this guy has this really good potential yeah. because it falls in like a, that 90th percentile, yeah. right? Or what you see as opposed to this other guy who is like in the 10th percentile. So you start discriminating. And by no means I'm saying that that guy is doomed. You know, the 10 percentile person, right? Yeah. Maybe he hasn't been training correctly. Maybe he hasn't been training at all, mm-hmm. right? Or, or doesn't eat correctly. So that doesn't mean that that person is doomed. It's just like a good reference to know, like, uh, oh, wow, we need a lot of work with this person, yeah. this kid. And he's only 14, you know, like what do you expect? So, yeah, we have to, you know, get in the next three years, like a long-term, mid to long-term plan to really improve that athlete, you know, at a higher level. But by no means, it's like, oh, no, this kid is never going to be good. No, I'm, I'm, I don't say that. Unless already, sure, they're like a very high level of professional. That's where you can say, like, well, maybe like you're never, never going to make it at the highest level. But even see, this is a conversation that I don't like to have. But when they're kids, you know, yeah, no, I mean, and the sky's the limit, right? Yeah, so you can yeah. get very far. 
Yeah. And so you, there's another mm. thing you said about Juan was that he is so savvy about training yeah. and uploads all his files, knows what he's, you know, knows mm. exactly what he wants to do. And that's the interesting thing when you're coaching juniors, they are kids and they might have mm. a very different emotional development. One athlete yeah. might have a very different emotional development path to another. Mm -hmm. How do you navigate that? And is that a big piece of their success? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, and yeah, that's a big piece. And that's where like you see like kids like Juan who yeah. was determined, yeah. was disciplined, was ready. This is, this is what I want to do, period. Right. And they have that killer instinct as opposed to other kids who are like, uh, this, like many kids, right? They're yeah. goofing around. They might be more into other things, you know, and, and like, ah, this is not my thing necessarily. Like I love it, but I, I just like tomorrow I can like another thing. Right. So that's why you see like, yeah, there's potential. But hey, at the end of the day, you know, the kid needs to, to be passionate about the sport. If there's not that passion and that determination, yeah, you, you cannot force it, obviously. But at the same time, you see that yeah, this kid needs an extra level of, of, of the mental uh, readiness for this sport. But here and there, you find people who, which is rare though, you have some juniors who like, they don't care much about uh, cycling. They just show up and win, but they don't care much. You know, it happens, it's rare, but uh, at some point they're going to have to change their mind at some point, yeah. right? Yeah, normally you see these kids are very, very determined. This is what I want to do. I, I found my vocation and I'm going to do my very best and I'm going to be disciplined. And so when you were coaching Juan, did you spend a lot of time face-to-face? -face? Yeah, I mean, he lives in Spain. I, I live in uh, here in the U.S., right? So yeah, it was a lot of uh, Zoom calls, Okay. right? Yeah, and then also the pandemic was in the middle too, right? It's funny because we, we were talking to each other for about a year without meeting in oh, person, wow. right? Okay, okay. Because it was first time here, he's there, and then the pandemic. So it was difficult to travel to get together with people, right? So yeah, the first time I met, like, wow, it's, it was weird because I, yeah, I've been speaking with you for a year and that's yeah. the time I shake your hands, you know? Wow. So was that hard is it from a coaching perspective? No, I think nowadays that's, that's the thing, you know, like uh, with Zoom, I think we, we I don't know, my, that's my impression, at least my humble impression about this is that we, we got to a point that we feel very comfortable speaking with people over Zoom. I mean, the human touch is always very good, but the human touch is in Zoom also in a video conference, right? But uh, eventually, obviously, you know that you're going to meet that person too. That's the other thing, right? So yeah, it works out. <laughs> Today's episode of Fast Talk is brought to you by Alter Exploration. Hi, I'm Fast Talk Labs co-founder Chris Case, and I created Alter Exploration to bring challenging, transformative cycling journeys to people who love to ride. If you're looking for an early season training camp or are wanting to improve your climbing technique and pacing, join me for the Boulder Backroads Climbing Camp April 5th through 9th. The camp boasts five days of riding on Boulder's best roads, some paved, some dirt, all of them spectacular. Not only will we ride the most famous climbs in the locals only secret dirt, there will also be on the bike discussions of climbing technique and pacing, sports psychology and physiology. There's no better way to start the season than with a big block of quality miles, especially in a stunning place like Boulder. Get your climbing legs ready. Apply now at alterexploration.com. I know you've touched on some of the testing and the physiology of Juan, mm -hmm. but um, let's talk a little bit more in depth about his training and the yeah. training you did with him. Can you talk us through how you trained him and what your approach was like, globally? And then, you know, if there is any one thing that you honed in on or wanted to mm -hmm. emphasize. Yeah, one of the things that you, you need to look when I work with, with these kids is uh, especially when they have already a uh, contract, you know, mm -hmm. with, with us in this case, right? So you want to have a, a mid-long-term approach. And uh, so first, like, hey, Juan, you have a contract to be on one of the best teams in the world at the age of 17. Whoa, you know, like there's no stress about this at all. 
and the team really believes in you. So yeah, first, no stress. Because many kids, you know, at this age, they, because they, they're dreamers. I forgot to mention earlier, they want to dream high. And they, ah, you know, they, I want to be someday at a tour team. You're there already. So that's important. So like, let's make sure that we take good care of you in, in, mentally, that you don't have to that stress. Second, we need to work in different areas in the long term. We're not in a rush. So we need to work more on, on some aspects about like uh, his basic training, you know, like improving. And I know I've, I've been in many podcasts talking about this, but the, the zone two, you know, we really need to make sure we start pushing this, right? And then continue over over the rest of your career because this is something you can keep pushing and pushing. And that's what we start to focus in on the aerobic base, if you will, thinking that, hey, you're there already, you know, we just focus on that. And then uh, the other thing is like, we need to do intensity training also, but knowing that we're not here now to win necessarily uh, tomorrow's race right. or a race in this because, you know, that race is going to take you to a top amateur team and eventually a top U23 team and eventually a pro team. I mean, world tour team, you're there already there. So we have a different approach. So we're like, races are not as important and your development was the important thing. In this case, it was a little bit special. So that's why we took it easy. We focused a lot on training and training and training and training. And especially also, hey, let's not get into the overtraining area. Let's make sure that we don't overtrain. So we start to monitor blood analysis to make sure that he's assimilating. Because I've been using it also for forever, for 27 years. There are many biomarkers you can do in blood analysis. They're telling us if you have muscle damage, if you're assimilating training, nutrition, competition. If you have a uh, fatigue, you know, uh, there are multiple parameters are there. They can tell us very well how an athlete is behaving, you know, or recovering or assimilating. And then when, when something, we see there's muscle damage or there's a uh, fatigue or there's like a, some hormonal disbalances, you know, we, we change training, right? And we say, whoa, okay, let's, let's take it easy. Let's, let's do an, a few days easy or totally off or recovery because we don't want to get into the, the danger zone of yeah. our training, which is going to be difficult to revert. But we're on top of that, boom. And then now we can move on. So that's what we focused. And then on the nutrition, we had to kind of like focus on, hey, let's organize a nutrition plan. Let's make sure things go well. And that's why we started working with him, with the team nutritionist as well, brought him. And we have a great, we're in contact all the time. And his trainings are also uh, paired with his nutrition. Everything has to be matched. And, and, and that was also about then giving him many contexts. I remember the first session with him and his dad, we spent a good uh, almost two hours with a PowerPoint presentation via Zoom. You know, I, li- I like, uh, I'm also a professor here at the, the University of Colorado, the School of Medicine, and in, in Colorado Springs also. And, and yeah, just, I like to, to explain things, right? And I use PowerPoint presentations in my slides because I like the visual and like, I like, to me it's very important to, for an athlete is not to tell them that what to do or how to do, but the why. Why are you doing this? And why, you're, why are you doing this training? Because of this and this and that, right? So that's why I deploy these uh, science uh, or scientific slides. You know, they can, I can start getting those uh, concepts in their heads. And that's where like, it was an educational process. And, and, and it's still up today. But I, I remember the first meeting was like two hours and I was exhausted <laughs> because they kept asking questions, you know, for the good, you know, yeah, like, like, wow, yeah. this is great, you know. But like, I was exhausted with so many questions, like, gosh, I needed to lay down for a while. <laughs> but, uh, but that's a good sign, right? And Yeah, yeah. And I guess, is that a big part of coaching juniors, that education process, whereby it might be nutrition, it might be energy systems, yeah. it might be recovery, it might be the importance of sleep. How big a part of that education is coaching juniors? Yeah, it's very important. It's, yeah. To me, it's, it's fundamental uh, because you need to really 
educate again, like uh, insist on but why are you doing this? Because the, the athlete goes out there and trains or goes out there in front of a, a plate of food and knows the why. Not like I have to do it. Now you know the why. And, and if they're passionate about it, it's going to improve their performance or, or you know, or should be improved the performance because, wow, they're, they're part of this now. They really understand the why and they put even more emphasis, right? So I always find that all those athletes who know are well-educated, they're really better off down the road. It sounds like you've covered everything with him, but is there anything looking back that you had, would have done differently? I don't know. I think that uh, he was very impressive from day one. The one thing, like, it's not just him, but it's many others who are very passionate about it, is that sometimes they're too passionate. Oh, And, okay. and you know, like, oh, I want to do this, I want to do this, and that's it, that's it. And, like, I think, yeah, you're still young, right? And, like, I think that uh, there are other things too. And, uh, and th- this is what, in the sport of cycling now, we're getting so precise to the dot of what has, has to be done. And, and, and I am not sure if, if, if some kids at the age of 24, 25 are going to blow up mentally. We see from other sports that that usually is not the case, but we don't know. So I, I really want to emphasize always, hey, make sure that, you know, like you read a book or you continue with the studies. Like Juan, for example, you know, he continued the studies and he's planning on starting college, right? In fact, some of that last year as a junior, he could have said, hey, look, I have a pro contract at one of the top teams in the world. I'm not going to study at all. And we had to even modify his training because he needed to finish uh, high school and get ready for the equivalent in Europe to what is the, the, the SAT test to enter the university because, you know, he really need to have the option to enter the university and little by little take, a, you know, like a three credits here and a class there, you know, which is good for their heads too because yes. they're, they're yeah. entertained with something. And then little by little within the course of seven, eight years or 10 years, they can finish a, a whole uh, degree, right? And that, that's his, his plan, right? So yeah, we, he finished school and it, that was a priority, Right. And then I, I absolutely, this is, this is exactly what I would highly recommend. Uh, and it came from him. Can we modify a little things? Like, absolutely. And then, uh, yeah, he was able to pass all the tests to, to be able to go to university. So he should be able to now enter in university at any point. And now he's like, yeah, figuring out what to do. But yeah, he's going to take a class here and there. But that's what I think. Always have a plan B, have something. Don't think it's everything cycling, 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 yes. you know, have something else. So then there's balance that's like just naturally weaved into life on a daily basis or weekly basis or whatever. But then there's also something down the road, longer term, because you, you can't be a professional cyclist forever. Yeah, exactly. Like at the end of your career, you can have something that you have a degree in something. Or, exactly. So, and you're, you're a more rounded athlete. Uh, yeah, which is Absolutely. overall a, a win-win for everybody, right? Yeah. I'm sure it makes your job easier too when you're coaching him. If there's a more of a diversity in thinking and approach. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the only thing with Juan is that since he, he was so young, there's a lot of assimilation process mentally, you know, like uh, being 18 already at the world tour level yeah. and being 19 already like a podium at Vuelta. Man, I, I, I try to put myself in his shoes yes. when I was his yeah. age and like, yeah. wow, how do you cope with yeah. that, right? There's a lot of things, you know, that we're adults, right? And we tend, yeah, it's, you know, I mean, even for adults, we'll be like, wow, we're, I'm in the, in the spot. But even being a kid, you know, it's like, wow, a teenager, <laughs> It's just like, a, so that, that's where like a, his priority was to, you know, hey, I, I need to go through this assimilation process. It's very important for me. I cannot start university now or anything like that because, whoa, there are a lot of things and I need to focus on this and, and really start my career on the right foot. But yeah, it's, just, it's not easy to be that popular in that level of the sport so young. 
Yeah. So as his coach, did you help him with that? Or was there a team sports psychologist that helped him with that? Because obviously being in the center, you know, mm-hmm. in the center of all that attention, media attention, social media nowadays, there's so many things for a young athlete to deal with. That's, exactly. That can be a lot. Yeah, it can be a lot on your plate. Exactly. So his dad is, is, is his agent so or manager. So he really protects him and he's with him. And I think it's a great thing that your dad is passionate about it and he, he he's there like that. That's great. But I, I also think that as sports psychologists, we have the possibilities to for any athlete on our on our team to consult with a sports psychologist, but it's an option. We don't force anybody. I think that it's an important aspect that needs to be introduced in the world of sports, especially now that we see the mental health is, is a big yeah. deal. And in Europe, not yet, but in, in the US, especially more athletes are coming out saying, hey, I, I have mental issues. Mental health is important. Like, I mean, we all probably have heard about uh, Michael Phelps mm-hmm. was yeah. one of the first ones to come out and say, hey, I've been going through all this my entire career. And like, uh, this is a reality. And it happens, you know, and like in many athletes. So I personally have for decades, you know, since I started, I think like a sports psychologist is a very important uh, figure, not because you're crazy, but there are a lot of insecurities. I always say that there's the fear to lose, but it's very natural, but the fear to win. And I've seen many athletes get into the top of the game, not in cycling, but in other sports. And, and, and then like, wow, this is what I've been dreaming all my life and falling apart because they got finally there. Or, or being, being so close to what they've been dreaming the entire life, and all the time, whoop, you know, they get frozen, get their fear to win. Because, oh man, this is going to change my entire life. I'm going to be in a whole different position. I don't know if I do it. It's, it's, it's not easy. And I mean, and it's not not rare, right? So anyways, this, uh, it might not have nothing to do with Juan. I'm just uh, going through the sports psychologist figure, but I think it's important in, in these days. Yeah, that's a very good point because it, it is something that somebody might have spent years or maybe their teenage years working towards and it's like, oh, I could achieve my dream yeah. here. Yeah. And that's that's actually quite terrifying as well as being exciting. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, I think that if, if you have a good environment where like, for example, I, I his dad is there, you know, like, and he right away, he had his inner circle yes. of trust, which I think is very important in the, in the world of sport. You know, there's an inner circle that all the inner circle is connected that you don't hear one thing from one person, another thing from another person, and then you go out there and because might be influencing you, but uh, we're there to help him, to protect him, and that gives him security. We're friends also, and he has he can you know say anything to us. I'm not saying we're a sports psychologists, right? But he and, and other athletes like in this situation, they're they're in a good spot mm-hmm. normally, right? But when that's where we get to know them very well, they're you know because we get an intimate relationship with these athletes. We know how they, just sometimes even just looking at their eye and like, mm, no, that's not your look. Something is, or your yeah. tone or voice. What's wrong? So that's what, that's what in some cases, like, hey, maybe we can address this problem differently with other athletes or so, right? So that, that's why like, uh, yeah, it's important to create like a inner circle of trust. And it sounds like if he's got his dad as his agent and that's like almost the perfect setup yeah. to have somebody mm-hmm. that trusted, that close exactly. and that trusted, yeah. So we've talked specifically about Juan, but it would be great to sort of tap into your knowledge and your expertise and translate that sort of more globally to help coaches who might also be coaching juniors and what you would call the cadets, you know, the young, mm-hmm. the youngsters. In your experience, is there any, any one thing that coaches should focus on when they're developing mm-hmm. athletes who are maybe in their teenage years? Yeah, so I think that a main thing is like, yeah, is they really need to have a very strong foundation and that's the, the base. Again, going back to that zone too, uh, even like, you know, the best pros, they, they do it. But if you start working in that foundation at an earlier age, 
that's where like, wow, you get to like at the age of 18, 21, very well. You know, then the races and the, you know, some intensity workouts you throw here and there, they're going to give you the high intensity that you need. And you can also structure some high intensity, but that foundation that takes years, it takes years. You know? and, and, and that's why the example that you see people like Bogachar, who's still working like this and keeps pushing it and pushing it, he's young, but obviously he, we're going to keep doing that, you know? Yeah. So more reason to do that when you're 14, 15, starting that foundation. So that, I would say that that's important. And this is one of the reasons why also we're seeing in other sports and in cycling, obviously you see more and more kids they're like at the very high level when they're 20, 21, right? That's because they started also when they were like 14, 15. And these are like uh, uh, those five years, four years, right? Where, um, you know, you have a lot of room to improve, a lot of room if you're well monitored, if you're well trained, if you do testing, because that's the thing, you know, I always say what gets measured gets managed. But I don't, I say it because of the example of Peter Drucker, who came up with that expression, what gets measured gets managed. And if you measure by testing the athlete, you know that the, the necessities of that athlete and therefore you can manage it with the proper training. When you don't measure anything, it's very difficult to manage. You go more by, more like by the feeling, by I feel is this, I think is that, but you know, might be beneficial to, the, to a specific writer or maybe it might be detrimental to another one. So that's why it's very important to measure. Yeah, right? you're, t- you're taking any guesswork out of it. Exactly. Making it a total science. Completely. You know completely. exactly what that athlete needs versus athlete exactly. A versus athlete B. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, and this is one of my, my experience here in the US. It's been quite frustrating, to be honest, with many coaches. And I don't know if it's a, it's a I have no idea. I'm, I'm trying to figure out the why that, that it's a cultural thing or it's an insecurity thing or it's just like a, but coaches, they, they just, they, they tend to do, I can do everything. I know everything. They do everything. Or, oh, no, I'm not going to send this cyclist to a laboratory for doing uh, physiological testing or to a nutritionist, but especially not to a, a physiological testing because they're going to steal that rider from me. And like, no, that's not the case, right? And it's just like you should send that rider to the laboratory for testing so that you can have better data so you can work better with that rider. And he or she gets better and you... And you exactly. Yeah. And you take the credit, you yeah, know? Uh, yeah. And not only that, you retain that athlete. The turnover in coaches is tremendous. It's huge, and one of the reasons is things like that. Is that uh, cyclists they like uh, they they get overtrained, fatigued, or or simply they talk to their coach and like, hey, what is this? And would you explain to me? And the coach doesn't know. So eventually, the, the cyclists are like, ah, this is not working, and they go to a different coach, coach and then to yeah. a different coach, yeah. and this is bad because every time you change coaches, you change philosophies. So that's why it's important for coaches to really, really be attached to experts in different fields who can really help you. They're in the, in the backstage. They're not going to steal your rider, you know. Uh, they're going to test your rider, give you good data. And that's what I, I've been I've been trying for 15 years in the United States. I gave up already. I'm not pursuing that anymore. I got to that point, you know. But like, hey, bring athletes to us because we can test them and give you good data. We can tell you, oh, he's moving in the right direction or I would do this or I would do that, you know, or these are the training zones. Sometimes the training zones, how do you calculate the training zones? You might think that that writer is, uh, that young kid is uh, training zone two, but actually he's doing zone four, you know? So it's way higher and that's going to lead that person to overtraining and not developing correctly, you know? So that that's something that to me is not acceptable, you know? So, uh, and, and again, these are, you know, it should be that if a coach doesn't have like an entourage of, or a network, if you, you know, of experts, you know, it should be detrimental for that coach's 
business. You know, that's the way it is in Europe. You know, in Europe, it would be unimaginable to have a coach that uh, does a copy and paste program and doesn't send anybody to do a test. If you have a coach like that, you probably may be paying five bucks a month or doing it for free. You know, when like the good coaches say, okay, I'm telling these people to the same laboratory that everybody does that because if I don't do that, I whoa, I mean, I'm in a lower position. So the other athletes are going to choose to go to another coach because that coach has that network that I don't have. But here, that culture hasn't been established. And this is what I think that for the coaches who are passionate about working with juniors, I highly encourage them, you know, to really get out of that comfort zone or, or the culture that we have nowadays and really move on, you know, to what, what is going to be more beneficial to athletes. Yeah. That's my humble opinion. Yeah. Huh? And to tap into testing and to use yeah. other experts and see them as resources, not threats. And, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So when it comes to physiological testing with mm-hmm. juniors, is there anything that you do differently compared to testing mature elite athletes? No, I do the same protocol. It's just like, obviously they don't, they don't have the same numbers. So, but yeah, I do the very, the same protocol. And then I know that you're, you're a big advocate for the polarized training approach. You would take the same approach for juniors. Yeah. It's, it's uniform across the board, regardless of whether they're juniors, mature athletes, you know, senior yeah. athletes, whatever. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what I was mentioning that. And it's not polarized necessarily, but yeah, kind of in that similar philosophy, if you will. But yeah, that, that foundation, right? Improving that mitochondrial function. The earlier you start, the better off, you know, and the more you keep pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. And as I was mentioning, even Tadej keeps pushing it and it will keep pushing it for years because this is something that first takes years and also uh, you can keep improving and improving. So that's more reason to start when you're younger. So by the time you're 20 or you're 18, whoa, you, you have already several years of working like this. And this is to that question too, this is, I used to be a cyclist here in the U.S. too, and uh, back in the days when I was a student, because I did my undergrad here, and I would see that many cyclists, uh, they don't start training with uh, any structure until they're 20 or 21, you know, or they're realizing, oh, I might be good at this. Now I need a coach. You know, I think that needs to change too, that, that culture from the, from the athlete, right? And I've seen the same thing. I, I, I saw so many, and that's when I started testing athletes. They were 21 and like, oh my God, you're a beast. That their physiological parameters are amazing, but that athlete is completely undeveloped. You know, it's like, oh my, that athlete had started when he was or she was 15. Well, would have been one of the best in the world, maybe. Yeah, okay. But here we have this athlete, 21, and poof, still have four or five years to develop. Yeah. And by that time, it's 26. And like, you know, like, yeah, time flies. You know, I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's been a barrier for many American cyclists. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So is there, on the flip side of that then, is there any downside to starting structured training too soon, too early in an athlete's development? Like what, what age would you ideally want to, an athlete to yeah. start that structure? I would say 14, 15, it would be good. I, I don't, yeah, I think starting earlier than that, the kids, in my opinion, they need to play and, and, and just have fun. But yeah, starting at 14, 15, it's important uh, and develop. And, and the other thing too that I didn't mention is like the races, right, are not, uh, it's challenging in the U.S. too, right, because uh, there are less and less races. The U.S. is transitioning more towards gravel and mountain biking. Well, mountain biking has been there big, but uh, it's losing. I mean, here in Colorado, you know, before there were stage races, yeah. one-day races for all levels or categories now, you have like six, seven races in the entire season. Whereas, wow, well, where do you go with that? So this is, it is a big handicap for, for kids to develop because if you can't race, you cannot move on. So this is why USA Cycling did a, like a, 
the great initiative, right, to have a center in Europe where they can identify talent and send them to, to live the entire season there or give the opportunity to spend some time there and explore what it is like to be a competitive cyclist there, to have a taste of what it takes. You know, I think that's a very important and indispensable work, you know, that the US, USA Cycling uh, is doing, which is really, really important. Uh, and it has shown that the majority of USA cyclists racing at the world tour level, they went through that academy, if you will, right, mm -hmm. of the USA Cycling in Europe, right? That was the route, the pathway. But it seems like it might be the only pathway, right? Because we don't have any structure yeah. way, you know, to give them the kids the training and competition. So that's something that I don't have the answer, obviously, but mm. I just see that there's a big problem. And so can an athlete as a junior show very little potential and then become a star or somewhere along that sort of teenage development, something happens that's like, oh, wow, they do have huge potential, but we just didn't see it. Yeah, sure. You can see is that. That's why I was saying that. Uh, you know, the fact that you see a kid, you know, that is fourteen, and the results are not very good. That kid is not doomed by no means. So maybe, maybe his uh, or her growth development and maturity, you know, is is d delayed, right? And uh, and maybe in two years, boom, kicks off. Although the puberty kicks in, and wow, that that change, that athlete yeah. changed completely. So yeah, of course you see that, right? Yeah. So that's why you need to keep working and working and working. And if you're passionate about it, don't give up or don't let that uh, your FTP or your file and, and 15 minutes is very low compared to other ones or your physiological tests are low. No, that should not discourage you because yeah, you, you, sooner or later you, you might have puberty kicking in, you know, like, wow, you can transform yourself and keep growing and, and take it to a whole different level. And what about on the flip side of that? What if you've got a junior who shows massive yeah. potential, age 14, 15, and then boom, they burn out or blow up? Because that's yeah. not uncommon, right? Exactly. And yeah. Have you seen that? And how do you Absolutely. how do you prevent that? Yeah, that's a great question as well. And and that's exactly what you see also in, in many instances. You know, you see like a 14-year kids and uh in an area where there's not much climbing. And you see that this 14-year kids is like a six foot tall already. And he's like a hundred and seventy pounds, right? He has beard and everything, <laughs> right? Like, wow, yeah. you know, you know that 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 kid actually is like has physiologically or biologically has the body of an eighteen-year-old kid, right? So you know that he's way ahead of his age, and any any you know kid that you know it's very difficult to beat that guy, you know, or that girl. But that that's when you say, okay, we need to be careful about this. And that's where like, so, oh yeah, my kid is the best and parents, you know, he wins everything or already have, might have a manager or the coach oh, ah, and they're looking for a pro contract. Like, easy, easy, easy. It's yeah. like, okay, you know, he's way ahead, way overdeveloped, you know, and, and at some point that might be it, right? Or, or sometimes what I see is like what I call like a, a, a negative progression. So you see like, a, you should see like a, someone with a normal progression at these ages, in these teenagers, they should improve more and more and more and more and more. But someone might be improving each year, but very little. And each year they're improving less than the previous one. So they have a negative curve of growth. So it is a predictor of, yeah, just this is going to be it in terms of like at that massive level. They're going to keep improving, but not at this level, while the other ones are, boom, are going to catch up. Hi, listeners. Are you looking to gain a deeper understanding on how your body uses energy and fuel? Look no further, because Steve Neal Performance Coaching is exactly what you need. For a limited time, you can get a wide range of data in Steve's testing package that includes metabolic efficiency test, respiration test, functional movement screening, 
four hours of consultation and Q&A sessions, plus an hour follow-up consultation. This program is designed for all endurance athletes at any level. Check it out today at stevenealperformance.com. What advice would you give to coaches who are maybe new to coaching juniors? Mm -hmm. It sounds like you've got a wealth of knowledge. What's maybe one of the biggest lessons that you've learned or... Yeah, I think that, again, I think the important thing is like to really get to know that athlete better, you know, and, and again, what gets measured gets managed. So try to uh, get to know that athlete better, not only at the personal level, but yeah, to, uh, physiologically, who are you working with? Is that a kid uh, who is very underdeveloped? And how do you measure that? Well, it's a kid that is really well developed. And how do you measure that? Or, or how, how do you train? Do you, do you tell him or her, yeah, just do two and a half hours into two intervals? Yeah, but how, you know, so th that's what I, that's what I recommend. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm using my, my physiologist hat, right? <laughs> because I, I, I see that that is important, you know, to, to understand who are you working with and what, what are the goals for this kid? You know, I don't know. I could have a bunch of advices from my experience, but I, I think that, that was an important one. And don't be afraid of sending the kid to a physiological testing at a place where people know what they're doing and get tested. And then uh, don't be afraid. That's not a threat. It's going to enhance, you know, your work. Yeah, that's very important. And um, what do you think is the biggest difference between working with young athletes and working with elite adult athletes? What's been the biggest in your coaching? Yeah. In your coaching experience, what's the biggest difference been? So I, I, I think like with younger kids is, I mean, it's, it's great to work for the majority. They're very appreciative about anything because they, uh, you know, in the fact that, that you also work with professionals or, you know, like higher level athletes and they appreciate like, oh, wow, you have time for me. You know, that's, that's great. So I love that aspect. I love the aspect that they're willing to learn. They're dreamers. They're here, I mean, being coached uh, because of a reason. They dream high. You can feel their passion. So that's great. Whereas, you know, sometimes when you turn adults, that passion starts fading away. It becomes a career, a profession, and then uh, even the attitude as well. Not all, but some of them, they're not that appreciative at all. In fact, they change. They're demanding. I'm a pro, I'm a pro, I'm a pro. Like, yeah, well, you used to be a very nice kid. <laughs> you know, like, well, you're a different person. You yeah. know? And I had these conversations with some some athletes who turned pro and like, look, you're not a 15-year-old kid that I that I met, you know, was very passionate. I was dreaming high and it was yeah. appreciative of everything, you know, and now you're behaving like a jerk. I'm not your slave, you know, and, and the rest of the staff, we're not your slave, you know. It happens, not not with everybody, but, you know, there are a few... Uh, uh, a few instances that are, yeah, I have gone through through that. Interesting, interesting, yeah. Oh, well, thank you very much for your yeah, time today. Pleasure. It's been really fascinating. I learned a lot and we appreciate your expertise and insights. Well, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. That was another episode of Fast Talk. Subscribe to Fast Talk. We ever prefer to find your favorite podcast. Be sure to leave us a rating and a review. The thoughts and opinions expressed on Fast Talk are those of the individual. As always, we love your feedback. Join the conversation at forums.fasttalklabs.com to discuss each and every episode. Become a member of Fast Talk Laboratories at fasttalklabs.com slash join to become a part of our education and coaching community. For Emma K. Lidberry and Inigo San Milan, the two stars of the episode, as well as Trevor Connor and myself, Rob Pickles, thanks for listening. <laughs>